Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, Monday, October 10th, 2021. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is our weekly economic and market commentary beginning today, beginning Monday. Um, This is also available as a podcast, of course, without the beautiful slides that you only get if you subscribe via email. The name of the podcast is Slaying Bulls and Bears. And you can ask any of your favorite podcast providers, not ask, it's on there. You can get it from any of those podcast providers. The presentation you're seeing hearing is not investment advice. It is designed for use with financial for, uh, by financial advisors and individual investors, but everyone needs to make their own investment decisions. Nothing in this presentation is a recommendation for the purchase or sale of any securities. Now, I know last week didn't seem fun to anybody, but for somebody like me, an economics and investing nerd, it did. Why? Well, you saw a lot of the things that we look for when we, when we build portfolios. We want to try to get the benefits of active management, the benefits of diversification. When you have a straight up market, everything's going easy. Uh, the benefits of having even a money manager don't seem so apparent or obvious to people. But last week, If money managers were positioned, say, with a little more small cap stocks than their benchmark, which we happen to be, uh, they would have beat. They would have beat their benchmark in a down week. Um, If you had a short duration fixed income, see the floating rate positive on the week versus the aggregate bond index down about an eighth of a percent. If you had some alternative investments, so we don't talk about it too much because it's such a boring part of the portfolio, uh, but, you know, positive uh, contributor to performance on the week. So as I look back, you know, I look at the gross unofficial returns, you know, we had last week, I'm pleased with some of the, uh, I'm pleased with all the results from last week. And, and I also, as we go through here, we're going to talk about a little bit more about where we think this correction that we're just about to an official correction level, almost not quite where we think it's likely to head and go in the coming weeks. We got durable goods orders uh, last week. They exceeded more than doubled the estimate of economists that report into Bloomberg, but there was a big jump in the highly volatile aircraft component. Backing that out, backing out transportation, you still had a two-tenths of a percent gain, so we were very happy about that. Backing out the aircraft, up half of a percent. A lot of data on residential real estate, very, very important to just about all of us. Uh, FHFA house price index rose in line with expectations up 1.4%. Home prices though are up almost 20% from a year ago. That, that, you know, the owner's equivalent rent issue certainly impacting CPI, inflation, core PCE uh, readings and, you know, causing concern that the inflation uh, we have is maybe not transitory. Now, even if inflation stops going up, it doesn't mean prices are going going to go back down, that would be deflationary. So think about that when you're processing sort of what you want to do in your personal situation about uh, inflation. 
Also, the S&P Case Shiller Home Price Index rose about a point and a half, a little bit below expectations. Uh, also up, you know, almost 20% from a year ago. Home prices up about 20% from a year ago. Pending home sales spiked pretty huge, 8%, uh, despite the massive price. But sales volume down 6% because fewer and fewer people, unfortunately, can afford that 20% jump in home prices. However, uh, I know here in San Diego, as an example, home prices did actually go down last month. They went from nearly stratospheric to almost stratospheric. Um, but that could lead to, we hope, a gain in affordability, but not so soon. Inventory still remains a major challenge, keeping prices higher. We also have a slow, steady upkick in rates, which we think might continue for, for a little bit here. I'll talk about that as we get further along. Weekly claims for unemployment rose, and I'm watching all the folks on the financial shows talk about it and say, we don't really understand it. There's this many job openings, and, and there's this much demand in the economy. How are people filing initial claims for unemployment? They went up. Uh, but it is because of another surge in California. For those of you that are out here in the Golden State, uh, we do things a little differently out here sometimes. So if you remember, the federal government stepped up and made additional unemployment benefits available to the 50 states. And that was because of the pandemic. Uh, those benefits ran out on September 6th in all states. Many states elected to discontinue those benefits sooner in order to encourage people to get back to work. Here in California, we still can't get people to come back to work. In fact, our state legislature and our governor decided that they would use pandemic relief funds that they got from the federal government to, to yet again continue to provide incremental unemployment benefits. Providing more benefits led to, you got it, far more claims, initial claims for unemployment. So therefore, here in California, we have massive job openings and increases in unemployment claims. Um, I think this is a time where it's appropriate to say only in California. GDP report last week was revised higher from 6.6% to 6.7%. Growth in personal consumption also revised a little higher, government spending and investment, construction investment revised down a little bit. The, um, some manufacturing activity, regional manufacturing activity reports last week, Chicago, Chicago PMI fell from 66.8 to 64.7, so right in line, new orders fell a little bit, backlogs fell, that's a good sign, and employment went up a little bit, went up a little bit last week in Chicago. We got personal income and spending for the month of August, rose two-tenths of a percent on income and eight-tenths of a percent on spending. Overall, economy doing well. But here's the big concern that everybody has, inflation, the core PCE price index, the red line there, that is the line the Federal Reserve uses to determine whether or not they're meeting their statutory, meaning provided by law, mandate, of price stability. They have determined internally that price stability does not equal 0% inflation, it equals 2% inflation. And we are well in excess of that. 
They believe it's transitory because of things like used car prices, hotels, airline tickets, and other items. And they have a lot of data to suggest they're correct. However, uh, there's now becoming more and more and more data to suggest that the Fed may be making a policy mistake, may overshoot on inflation. And that's one of the triggers, the little sell-off we've had in the equity markets and the rise in interest rates that we've had over the last couple of weeks. You notice I'm not panicked though, right? Okay, moving on. Market Manufacturing PMI, Purchasing Managers Index, that's for the whole country as opposed to just the Chicago region, fell a little bit, but to a very nice number of 60.7. It was above expectations. Still one of the highest readings you can see going back to October 18th. So the demand is still there. Manufacturing still has massive backlogs of orders and extremely low inventories. We also got the same bit of information from ISM, Institute for Supply Management. PMI there also at 59.9, or, or excuse me, 61.1, up from 59.9. A little bit of a beat there. New orders strong at 66.7. Backlog also easing, but very little. That's the takeaway is we can see that the supply chain situation is going to improve, just not going to improve this month. Uh, and we did see employment go back above 50 there uh, in I-7, which is very, very welcome. That's the line of delineation between expansion and contraction. That's, you know, these numbers are despite California having a spike in unemployment claims because of their policies. Conference board, consumer confidence, and Michigan consumer sentiment, both out last week, uh, both fell. Uh, they fell, excuse me, Michigan rose. Um, conference board fell a little bit, uh, mostly concerned on the Delta variant, but we expect that to go away with the Merck news we got on Friday that they have developed an antiviral, a pill-based treatment for the COVID vaccine which we believe is an absolute game changer. And even if we get more variants of COVID, signals really the beginning of the end of the coronavirus pandemic. It is the beginning of the end this time, and we feel very confident in that statement. University of Michigan, as I mentioned, came up just a little bit uh, and beat expectations, but is still down, as you can see, considerably. Again, still COVID and inflation. Just how bad is the supply chain issue? Well, we have uh, massive demand in the economy, massive money floating around in the economy, and look at auto sales. Auto sales, we can't get computer chips, we can't get chassis. Really very, very disappointing, and that's a big, big miss. Auto sales at 12.2 million versus 13. But remember, you normally you'd see this, you say, wow, demand for autos is down. We've never had a supply-based recession. It's always been a demand-based recession. Think about this, coronavirus comes, we say, oh boy, we need to shut everything down and keep everyone at home, okay? Restricting supply. But because people are at home and they're out of work, we need to give them money to buy things that they need to live. And we get that via delivery. So what is the classic definition of inflation? Too much money, We've printed massive amounts, including $8 trillion of government borrowing, transferred that to individuals who then wanted to buy stuff, but all the factories were shut down, the restaurants, the golf courses, and the shopping malls and the movie theaters were shut down. 
That is the classic, perfect textbook definition of what can cause inflation. We cut off the supply, reduced it, but increased the demand for stuff. We got the inflation. Now we're paying the price. Massive accumulation of debt at the fiscal level for the United States Treasury and the inability to get that supply chain back up and running. That's now starting to impact the equity markets and the fixed income markets to a degree. Here is a chart, a graph, sorry, that is a little busy, so allow me to spend a moment on it. The white line and the blue line, which are really almost perfectly together here, white represents the NASDAQ composite, blue represents the S&P 500. They're very similar now because the S&P 500 has become a very tech-heavy index. It's cap-weighted, and these companies have grown to be the biggest and greatest companies in the world. The orange or red or whatever this color is here is the small cap 600 index, small companies, really significantly outperforming. This is why I'm very confident that this is nothing more than a correction in rotation. It's one of the reasons. If, if we're really moving into a recessionary period, all the equity markets will be selling off in unison. And small cap, as you can see, has been rallying for the last two plus weeks. It's actually up, and it was up last week. The riskiest stocks are getting flows into them right now. So what I see this as being a normal, healthy correction. I see a rotation, a little bit out performance of small cap, which is a reopening play. Financials, which is a higher interest rate play. Some of the other cyclicals along with reopening, travel, leisure, et cetera, all outperforming temporarily. I do think it's going to be short term which is why we haven't sold out of our NASDAQ or S&P 500 positions. I don't want to be short or out of these companies in advance of earnings season, which is only two weeks away. So this is what I think is happening. This is what I think will continue to happen. And I think at some point in the not too distant future, the big cat names the NASDAQ take back over again. Meanwhile, over in bond land, we've got the U.S. 10-year Treasury breaching 150 last week, you know, from a technical perspective, you know, the resistance is going to be at 175. We got over 175 for about a minute uh, back in March. I think that's the next stop on the U.S. 10-year Treasury. I think the downward trend is reversed. I think the debt levels in the United States are worrisome, and I think rates are going to have to go higher. Obviously, I think there's going to be a little bit of selling here in the rates markets, uh, you know, by the by the CTAs for the next week or so as we um, as we get a lot of ebb and flow and fear around the debt ceiling. Ultimately, um, you know, we're trying to we're trying to pass big spending measures at a time when we're out of money. So uh, we're working that through uh, uh, Congress uh, at the moment. So for the rest of this week and probably into next, the most uh, likely market drivers are this ongoing debate about the U.S. debt ceiling. I just watched a speech by President Biden on that very topic. Um, continued debate about infrastructure spending, which is tied in with the debt ceiling debate and this new human infrastructure spending. Very importantly on Friday, pharma, U.S. pharmaceutical company Merck announced an antiviral COVID treatment. So for that will greatly reduce hospitalization and deaths. I don't think the people who are resistant to vaccines will be resistant to antivirals.
because I think once you're sick, you uh, tend to, to uh, be a little more willing to try things. Uh, supply chain issues are likely to be with us for some time, given that gap in inventories and uh, backlogs. Earnings downgrades are going to happen, and they're, they have been happening for five or six weeks. I think they've about run their course, but that's all ahead of earnings season, which will begin in earnest here in about two weeks. Uh, we start with some, some big financial names, obviously like JP Morgan, et cetera, and we move into the tech names later in the month. And um, I think they're gonna be okay. And not blow out like we had last year, but uh, I think they're gonna be pretty darn good. This week, we've got plenty of economic data, factory orders, uh, we've got the final market uh, services uh, and market manufacturing um, readings, and, oh, excuse me, ISM services. We had manufacturing last week for both. We've got uh, services for both this week. Uh, unemployment, uh, the big jobs report, both the federal jobs report and the ADP, neither of which are showing a lot of robustness. Some of that can be blamed on the California um, non-farm payrolls, we're looking at 500,000, uh, 430,000 from, uh, from ADP. Unemployment rate basically unchanged down the tick at 5.1%. Thanks, everybody. If anything major happens during the week, I was tempted last week. It was a little rough, but not quite rough enough to get me to do an intra-week commentary. Uh, but you know that I will uh, if anything does happen that's uh, particularly extraordinary. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you all again next week. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.